Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do a great job. You can find out more by visiting johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including William Yateman, research fellow at the Cato Institute. We'll also visit with Michael Cannon. He's the director of health studies at the Cato Institute. Our U.S. Congressman, Byron Donalds, will be with us. My goodness, I saw him on three different nationally syndicated news shows yesterday. He's really getting popular. And we'll visit with Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. It is May the 28th, and on this day in 1754. Now, keep in mind, this is 22 years before the Declaration of Independence. Uh, the uh, people in America were actually, actually English citizens. In the first engagement of the French and Indian War, a Virginia militia under 22-year-old Lieutenant Colonel George Washington defeated a French reconnaissance party in southwestern Pennsylvania. In a surprise attack, the Virginians killed 10 French soldiers from Duquesne, Fort Duquesne, including the French commander, and took 21 prisoners. Only one of Washington's men was killed. The French and Indian War was the last and most important of a series of colonial the British and the American colonists on one side and the French and their broad network of native Indians uh, allies on the other. Fighting began in the spring of 1754, but Britain, Britain and France did not officially declare war against each other until May 1756 and the outbreak of the Seven Years' War in Europe. In November 1752, at the age of 20, George Washington was appointed adjutant to the Virginia Colonial Militia, which uh, involved the inspection, mustering, and regulation of various various militia companies. In November 1753, he gained public notice when he volunteered to carry a message from Virginia Governor Robert Dinwiddie to French moving into the uh, that <clears throat> to the French moving into the Ohio, warning them to leave the territory which was claimed by the British Crown. Washington succeeded in the perilous wilderness journey and brought back an alarming message the French intended to stay. In 1754, Dinwiddie appointed Washington a lieutenant colonel and sent him out with 160 men to the colonial post in what is now Pittsburgh before Washington could reach it. However, it was given up without bloodshed to the French, who renamed it Fort Duquesne. Washington moved within about 40 miles of the French position and set about building a new post to Great, to great Meadows, which he named Fort from this base, he ambushed an advanced detachment of about 30 French, striking the first blow of the French and Indian War. For the victory, Washington was appointed a full colonel and reinforced with several hundred Virginia and North Carolina troops. On uh, July the 3rd, the French descended on Fort Necessity with their full force, and after an all-day fight in Washington, surrendered to their superior numbers. The disarmed colonel was allowed to march back to Virginia, and Washington was hailed a hero despite his surrender of the fort. The story of the campaign was written up in the London Gazette, and Washington was quoted as saying, I have heard the bullets whistle, and believe me, there is something charming in the sound. Reading this, King George III remarked he would not say so if it had been used to hear many. In October 1754, Washington resigned his commission to, uh, in protest to the British underpayment of colonial offices and a policy of making them subordinate to all British officers, regardless of rank. In early 1755, however, British General Edward Braddock and his army arrived to Virginia, and Washington agreed to serve as Braddock's personal aide-de-camp with the courtesy title of Colonel. The subsequent expedition against Fort Duquesne was a disaster, but Washington fought bravely and succeeded in bringing the survivors back from Braddock after Braddock and a thousand others were killed. With the western frontier of Virginia now dangerously exposed, Governor Dinwiddie appointed Washington commander-in-chief of all Virginia forces in August of 1755. During the next three years, Washington struggled with the problems of frontier defense but participated in no major engagements until he was put in command of the Virginia Regiment, participating in the large British campaign against Fort Duquesne in 1758. The French burned and abandoned the fort before the British and Americans arrived, and Fort Pitt was raised on its site. With Virginia's strategic objective attained, Washington resigned his commission 
With the honorary rank of Brigadier General, he returned to his planter's life and took a seat in the Virginia House of Burgesses. So that's the story of the French and Indian War. It has a big uh, expanse of time uh, that uh, <laughs> actually the governor, the United States government under the Constitution started in 1789. So just think of that. A lot of years and a lot going on. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said that people moving to Florida from other states are overwhelmingly registering as Republicans, and that includes Democrats who fled the states during the, due to the COVID-19 restrictions. Isn't that interesting? I don't know the source of his information. I'm sure he's got good information, but uh, that is good news. I'm just so pleased to hear that. wanted to share it with you. President Donald Trump has issued another one of his epic statements, this time taking aim at Joe Biden over the skyrocketing gas prices we're seeing across the nation. Here's his quote. With Memorial Day coming up, weekend coming up, tomorrow people will start driving in the biggest automobile days of the year. I'm sorry to say the gasoline prices that you will be confronted with are far higher than they were just a short number of months ago when we had gasoline under $2 a gallon. Remember, as you're watching the meter tick, and your dollars pile up how great a job Donald Trump did as president. Soon Russia and Middle East will be making a fortune on oil, and you will be saying how good it was to have me as your president. Wasn't it great to have energy independence? Uh, but we are energy dependent, no, independent no more. Shame, shame, shame. Other than that, have a great Memorial Day weekend, <laughs> President uh, Donald Trump. Great quote from the president. I don't know if you saw Yankee Stadium, but apparently they unfurled a banner, a huge banner in Yankee Stadium. Uh, Trump won. <laughs> Something to that effect. Uh, pretty amazing. I don't have it here in, in, uh, in front of me, but it uh, just occurred to me. Anyhow, with the Florida legislature regular uh, session over, the state, counties, cities, and towns have found themselves in a familiar situation. Lawmakers in the Florida Senate and House this year continued to chip away at the power of local governments to control everything from home-based businesses to cruise ships. Now, this is a story in this position that I don't agree with, but I thought I'd share it with you because it's very, very interesting. A lot of disappointment this session said Craigan Mosteller, Director of External Affairs for the Florida Association of Counties, in discussing the home rule issue, I felt this year was a lot of mosquito bites. The fight between local and state government over home rule issues, in part, has to do with the philosophy, local officials say, but it's also been pushed by the partisan divide in Florida. Governor Ron DeSantis and GOP-dominated state legislature has bristled at the steps taken by local governments with registered Democrats at the helm. Policies emerging in Miami, Tampa, and Orlando often clash with the views of Republicans at the top of the government, state government, that is. The COVID-19 pandemic inflamed that with mask requirements and business limitations endorsed by many communities rejected by DeSantis uh, for use statewide. Lawmakers this spring also approved strict new campaign finance requirements on citizen ballot initiatives. Advocates say that the change will make it tougher to advance issues that legislature refuses to consider. With past ballot measures winning voter approval for broad marijuana laws, a higher minimum wage, felons' voting rights, and environmental preservation. Does any of that sound uh, appealing? Not to me. Uh, we'd like to say government is about we the people, said Florida Representative Matt Wilhite. He's a Democrat. But in Tallahassee, they don't listen to people. They do what they want. <laughs> so city officials have watched this division de uh, deepen over the years. This is a part-time Florida legislature, they said. We know better. We're going to make a decision for you, said Rich, uh, Richard Radcliffe, executive director of Palm Beach County League of Cities. They don't get stopped in publics like every local official does by their constituents. We have a pulse of the people, he said. Some conservative lawmakers and state officials who lament federal overreach when it comes to Common Core or tax issues often are willing to grab power for the local governments. If today they're willing to do to try takeover regulation of short-term home rentals, critics worry will we be building codes and bar hours tomorrow. This is such an interesting issue to me because I understand uh, the the need for home rule, but just think about Portland, Oregon, that has home rule. Just think about sanctuary cities that have home rule. Think about uh, uh, the uh, the uh, racial uh, information that gets to be put into schools with home rule. I think the, I, I prefer that the governor 
first of all, they're cleaning out a lot, a lot of unnecessary regulations. They're making our state free, and I think that's a good thing. I believe the government closest to the people should have the most impact on people's daily lives, Henry said. Unfortunately, now in Florida, that's turning out to be Tallahassee. Quite frankly, Florida is quickly becoming the worst state in the country for respecting home rule. Well, I understand the point of view. I don't agree with it. Uh, for some reason, local po uh, politicians, once they get in power, can make some pretty stupid decisions. And what Governor DeSantis has created for us and the state legislature is an environment of freedom and allowing people to make their own decisions. So uh, I believe there is a lot of freedom for home rule. But quite frankly, if home rule means sanctuary city, if home rule means, uh, uh, for example, uh, Black Lives Matter and all that nonsense, I'm just grateful the governor's uh, making the decisions he is. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples, longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine, be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, I'm going to visit with William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social, a refreshing social networking platform. It's new, and you can find out more by visiting choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with our U.S. Congressman, Byron Donalds. Right now we have with us William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Bob. Always a pleasure, William. Tell us about the Cato Institute. You bet. Uh, we're a think tank here in Washington, D.C., dedicated to advancing the ideals of a free society at every level of government. Cato.org is the website. C-A-T-O dot org. So, William, uh, let's continue the saga of the infrastructure bill. It just continues to go on and on. Unbelievably, the GOP is seeming to come up with almost a trillion dollars as a counterproposal, what are your thoughts? Well, I've got a, a pretty major qualification um, with that trillion-dollar counterproposal, one that I only just learned about. 
Mm. Um, so we've been talking about the, the ongoing saga of this uh, the big infrastructure bill and these negotiations between the Senate Republicans led by West Virginia Senator Shelley Capito um, between them, them and the White House. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the latest was, uh, I guess, uh, this week, the president had a counteroffer of $1.7 trillion. Um, and his definition of infrastructure still includes, you know, pretty much everything under the sun. Mm-hmm. Um, the Senate GOP counter to that was about $1 trillion, $928 billion. Now, however, and this is something I didn't know, about $700 billion of that are repurposed funds from uh, the $5.5 trillion that Congress has already spent on COVID stimuli. Um, so to be sure, I'm wary of all this government spending. I mean, I, I believe today Biden is going to introduce a $6 trillion government budget. Right. We've spoken before about how trillion has become the new billion when it comes to government spending. I am somewhat heartened, I mean, on, however, by the fact that at least uh, uh, at least $700 billion of this $928 billion um, is indeed uh, in recognition of the fact that Congress has already sent so many trillions of dollars out the door. And indeed, uh, according to news reports, that's an absolute fundamental sticking point for the GOP. I mean, they, they uh, in, in essence, are demanding that about a trillion dollars of, uh, of the, from the last round of stimuli um, be applied to this new effort. So that's something I was calling for on, on prior Fridays, um, and it does... Uh, uh, it at least lends some common sense to the GOP's negotiating position yeah. because, as you reiterated with your question, um, and as I I thought up until this week that they had been talking about new money. Yeah, um, and I'm you know thankful that that's not the case. Now that is uh, new information for me as well. One thing they did learn yesterday is this money will be spent over the series of years. So in other words, it's not one big fell swoop. Uh, I think the number the number is over six years, if I'm not mistaken. So. Uh, you know, it it demonstrates at least a little fiscal responsibility. <laughs> Thank you for that, um, Joseph Collins. Indeed, yes, that we're still talking about. Uh, we still, in essence, have a trillion dollars that was unspent from these previous efforts. I mean, right. would it make sense to account for that before we proceed with the the next round? Um, so, uh, no, yes, I, I 100% agree that perhaps zero ought to be the number that's bandied about, um, given how much money is already out there. I will add this. Um, the situation is super fluid. Um, President Biden said that the GOP counter was very constructive, and even though he had set a Memorial Day deadline by which these negotiations had to be wrapped up before the congressional Democrats would go it alone, um, he nonetheless said that negotiations will continue next week. Hmm. Um, at the same time, there are still other proposals out there. Uh, we spoke last week about the House GOP. They have their own $400 billion proposal um, for an infrastructure bill. Uh, again, uh, that I assume is largely repackaged money from the prior stimuli. Mm-hmm. And we also have a fourth effort from senators, uh, 10 bipartisan senators, including Romney, Manchin, Senator Collins, they haven't proposed any numbers yet, but evidently they are working on yet another infrastructure plan. So we've got four such strategies out there, and again, the situation remains highly fluid. Well, the fact that Manchin and Collins are on the list indicates that it's an attempt to be bipartisan. So uh, uh, where do you think this is going to go? At, at this point, I mean, it's, it's very difficult to prognosticate. I would say the most likely outcome, the one that most people seem to be uh, stating where we're headed is that everything sort of falls apart between the two parties yes. and that the Democrats ultimately go it alone with a huge bill. Yeah, <laughs> that would be my assumption as well. Hey, before I let you go, I want to talk to you about this uh, grand jury that's been convened for a criminal investigation uh, into uh, the Trump organization. Uh, uh, these people, the DA, and these people just hate Trump. And, uh, they're, you know, it's basically... A grand jury looking for a crime, uh, although I would assume if you're uh, convening a grand jury, you must have found something in order to do that. What are your thoughts? Well, I guess just to back up real brief, to tell your listeners, a grand jury, so that actually has nothing to do with the courts, the judiciary. That's Mm -hmm. a body of citizens convened by the prosecutor 
that votes by majority whether or not to proceed with a, a criminal indictment. Hmm. Um, the, to say that the process is weighted in favor of the prosecutor would be an overstatement. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps your listeners have heard of that famous line that, uh, quote, you can indict a ham sandwich, uh, which, you know, an indictment would be the ultimate uh, fruits, if you will, of, uh, of a grand jury process. It, we spoke about this last week. Um, they're convening, in this instance, a special grand jury, which uh, that is under New York law. They expect this to take a long time. They expect the evidence to be unusually complex. Yet, as we noted last week, the actual crime is pretty small potatoes. I mean, we're talking about a very narrow, I mean, we're dealing with a tax write-off of a $25 million land development in California years ago. Um, so we, when you've got this combination of, of, of expansive evidence and very narrow charges, um, you might say that it's a trumped-up indictment, pun intended, uh, yeah. which is to say, yes, this is a highly political effort. And I, I don't think much good is going to come of this. And as I noted last week, aren't there bigger fish to fry for yeah. the New York Attorney General and the uh, District Attorney of New York? Again, this is a joint effort uh, yeah. by the state and municipality. Um, but, you know, I read, as I noted last week, crime is up 30% in New York. Yeah. Um, conceivably, there are better expenditures of these prosecutorial resources. Uh, no question. Trunch, Trump derangement syndrome strikes again. That's <laughs> It's it's really a shame, and and the interesting thing is, of course, anything like that, Trump is going to certainly have CPAs and counsel and all kinds of information to defend any decision that he made financially. So, uh, uh, I don't, my personal opinion, I don't think this is going to go anywhere. Well, I'll note just one aspect of it—a rather unseemly aspect. Um, evidently, the the heart of the prosecution's very complex case is testimony from the estranged daughter-in-law of of, uh, the uh, CFO of the Trump Organization. Um, And, you know, to me, they're in essence leveraging a family dispute uh, to pursue a political prosecution of a former president. I mean, the whole thing just sort of seems unfair. So interesting. William Yateman, again, research fellow at the Cato Institute. I genuinely appreciate your commentary here in the week on the show, and I hope you have a great week. And thanks so much, William. Thank you so much for having me, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. And again, Cato.org is uh, the website. All right, coming up, Michael Cannon. He is a a director of health studies at the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show.
Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. I proudly served as board chairman for 15 years and very proud of now opening up a new uh, performing arts center in downtown Naples. You can find out more by visiting gulfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us... Michael Cannon, he is the Director of Health Studies at the uh, Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here, Bob. Thank you, Michael. So uh, I thought it might be interesting to get to your perspective on what's happening. All of a sudden, after a year or so, now this the whole discussion around the Wuhan lab and whether this uh, 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 virus was human, uh, created by human activity and in the lab, what are your thoughts? You know, there are two really interesting stories happening here. One is uh, this question of whether the novel coronavirus that causes COVID-19 leapt from uh, bats to other animals to humans or whether it was something that was developed, engineered in a lab in Wuhan, China, and accidentally released. That's one interesting uh, sort of storyline that's happening here, the question about whether, you, which of those two uh, 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 modes of release into the human population is, is was the case. Yeah. The other storyline is how people are, have been addressing that first question of uh, how the novel coronavirus came uh, to infect the human population because if you'll recall, around a year ago, people began asking these questions yeah. about whether it could have come from that, uh, that very high-tech uh, lab in Wuhan. And uh, a lot of people roundly dismissed it as a wild conspiracy theory. Right. But over time, people have kept asking questions, and that has uh, become a more plausible scenario than people originally believed. And some people who had dismissed that as a wild conspiracy theory are now uh, exceeding that there, there may be something to it. Again, we don't know yet. We don't have definitive evidence that, uh, that this virus came from a lab. But there, this question is an interesting example of how incredibly politicized our politics in general has become, but also right. the politics of this pandemic. No question. And, of course, the, the uh, larger question, which we'll probably never get, get an answer to, is was it uh, released on purpose? Was it bio-warfare uh, <laughs> by the Chinese? Well, that, I think, is the least plausible scenario, because if someone w wanted to release this virus as uh, an act of bio-warfare, uh, why would they release it to their own population? Why wouldn't they hold on to it and release it uh, well, where it would hit their enemy? Well, the storyline—the uh, storyline would be, uh, you know, if in fact you, you wanted to entertain that uh, that uh, theory, the uh, storyline would be that it, it got accidentally got leaked out to uh, the population of China, and then the decision was made by the transnational uh, uh, criminal uh, organization, the Communist Party, uh, to go ahead and leak it to the rest of the world. Well, once it's out in the Chinese population, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to get out. This is a highly contagious virus. Uh, and I, I, I find that implausible, uh, highly implausible, okay. uh, that, that scenario where they did this on purpose. And I even find it implausible that, they, that uh, the, the gain-of-function research that they were doing in Wuhan, that they were doing in order to uh, develop biological weapons. Um, I, I think it's much more plausible that they were doing this uh, in order to find uh, vaccines uh, against uh, highly contagious and uh, dangerous viruses. Uh, coronaviruses and others. Well, I appreciate that perspective, Michael. Thank you for, for that. Uh, they, because, if, quite frankly, if in fact it was uh, engineered in order to create a pandemic, in order to uh, harm population with bio-warfare, seems to me it would be a lot more deadly than it is uh, currently. Well, they can't really... It, you would think that a bi if you wanted a biological weapon, yeah. you would want it to be much more accurate so that it would only kill your enemies and not kill your own people. Yeah. Uh, uh, in, and it, this is uh, uh, quite obviously at this point a virus that 
is not easy to contain, is not easy to, uh, uh, to, to protect a population against. Um, so I think there's a lot of, um, there, there are many, many reasons to doubt the biological weapon story, but there are, uh, there is, um, it is becoming increasingly plausible that the story that the virus originated in a lab and escaped uh, inadvertently from a lab uh, is, in fact, it is the case. Uh, again, uh, more plausible, not definitive. So uh, I would also appreciate if you if you want to make, of course, I want to remind our listeners that uh, Cato Institute is a policy organization and, and certainly not political. But uh, irrespective, I can't help, help myself. I want to ask you about flip-flop uh, Fauci and his possible involvement in this entire thing. He's he's changed his story so many times. Any thoughts? So I have, uh, I, I think we've discussed uh, Dr. Fauci before. Uh, yeah. We discussed his, what would appear to be a flip-flop on masking. Yeah. And I do agree that the... Uh, the NIH and other public health authorities could have done a much better job of communicating what their position was on on masks. Uh, I don't really think that it was a flip flop. Uh, I, I, I disagree with a lot of Dr. Fauci's critics on that point because, if you'll recall, earlier on in the pandemic, there were fears of shortages of PPE, including uh, N95 masks and uh, public health authorities wanted there to be an adequate supply for healthcare workers, and so didn't want the citizenry hoarding them for that reason. And uh, before the virus was had reached a certain point, it didn't make sense. Uh, 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 a certain amount of spread in the population, it didn't make sense for people to to mask. And so when they changed the recommendation, uh, I thought that that there was a rationale to that, that it wasn't flip flopping, that they were updating their facts and with regard to uh, say uh, uh, Michael, what, was, what was happening in the Wuhan lab and what we were the United States was funding in that lab well I don't think it should have been funding uh, should have been funding that but as I mentioned before what dr. fauci and others were uh, were trying to do is use this gain of function research to come up with ways to fight highly contagious vaccines. Sorry to interrupt our conversation, but I can hear uh, our Congressman Byron Donalds calling in, so I want to just uh, thank you. Well, let's continue this conversation next week, and uh, I just genuinely appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Anytime, Bob. Take care. All right, you too. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Byron Donalds. He is our uh, U.S. Congressman, that and more, right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Listen to the Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulubee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com 
to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. And that's just one of the initiatives you can find out more by visiting thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Beagle, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Right now we have with us our U.S. Congressman, Byron Donalds. Byron, thank you so much for joining us. Hello, Byron. Hello, Bob. Hey, how yeah, are you doing today? I'm good. I can barely hear you, though. Oh, I'm sorry. Pain. Is that better? Oh, that's much better. Okay. Uh, so, Byron, uh, well, uh, I saw you on three different nationally syndicated programs last night. You're certainly getting a lot of face time uh, when it comes to uh, being a spokesperson for, for uh, conservatives. You know, I got to tell you, it's, it's, it's actually humbling to do that much television but i think the reason why they kind of have me on is i just tell it like it is i don't mince words i don't really beat around the bush i'm very direct yep uh every now and again i could try to be funny about it but uh, or inject some humor but it's really just about being direct and telling people what's going on on capitol hill and, and what the problems are and what we really should be doing yeah um and so well, you're very. I'll, I'll tell you, Bob. I don't really. We don't ask to do the. We don't call the the TV producers and ask them to go on. They basically call us. I know. And ask us to go on. So. Well, what, you know, what's what you get the reputation for being a good guest? You're going to get a lot of calls because <laughs> those news outlets want the very best and articulate to uh, to come on their shows. Uh, one well, question: look, it, all, it started on the Bob Harden show, man. So I'm glad they finally figured it out. <laughs> well, uh, I'm just very proud to have my relationship with you, and so proud of what you're accomplishing. Uh, so it's it's great to no, see. Yeah. One question you got yesterday that I thought might be interesting just pose is, is uh, and I, I think the answer is obvious, but I'd love your comment on it is are we is biden and his administration taking us down the road to socialism yes unequivocally yes um you know i know everybody back in 2008 2009 when barack obama was famously saying during the campaign and then even his first year that they were going to fundamentally transform america Mm -hmm. and i know that got a lot of people's attention and they didn't like that um, because they didn't want to have the economic systems uh, and the governmental systems of the country just change like that, just so radically. Um, Biden's doing it. Yeah. Like, w- without question, he's full speed ahead. He's doing the, frankly, the, the radical transformation right in front of our eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, this morning, well, today, he's going to release his budget proposal. Bob, it's $6 trillion. Yeah. A $6 trillion budget. It's never happened before. Yeah, he wants to spend more money as a percentage of our economy than we were spending in World War II to defeat the Nazis. Like, think about this: to defeat the Nazis and an Imperial Japan. Mm. That's what's that's what's happening here. We are not fighting some massive world war where we're we're having to mobilize every uh, uh, red-blooded male to go fight across across halfway across the globe we're not having to do that right uh, what he wants to do is the biggest redistribution of wealth frankly the world has ever seen yeah. he's, he's gonna make the soviets look like pikers that's what this is that's what this is that's what he's trying to do uh, so it definitely is the path towards socialism, without a, without a doubt. Yeah, it's and it's so discouraging to see. Now, some of the legislation, I mean, th- this budget, in my opinion, is probably just a, a straw uh, dog. It's not going to go anywhere, uh, but it indicates what he wants to accomplish. There are a lot of things on the table, the big tax increases, uh, this uh, infrastructure program. Uh, where do you think all this stands? Uh, that budget's dead on arrival. It's, I'm, I'm telling you that right now. There, there are senators, there are Democratic senators who aren't going to go for that. Um, I'll tell you on the infrastructure stuff, this is concerning because they keep talking about roads. I read a couple articles from the AP and New York Times, and they're like, oh, yeah, this is ambitious to make sure we take care of our roads and, and waterways. Bob, you can do roads, bridges, waterways, and broadband 
for about $400 billion. Mm-hmm. You don't got to spend $6 trillion. I understand that's the entire budget, but just for people to understand the scale that we're talking about. You can do that for about $400 billion. What he wants to do is per- make permanent the child this increased child tax credit that was in the mm-hmm. coronavirus bill. We're literally starting this month. If you are an individual making less than $150,000 a year, and, and for every child you have, you're going to get a check for $300. For every child you have. Hmm. So if you're making $90,000 and you have three kids, you're going to get a check for $900 a month from the federal government under the coronavirus bill. They want to make that permanent. Uh. They want to have a massive expansion of of Medicaid, and they want to put in the public option for Obamacare. They want to raise the corporate income tax and raise the capital gains tax. But by the way, for people who are selling their homes here in Southwest Florida, because that's happening a lot. Uh. That would be retroactive to the beginning of this year. Really? So you made your decision to sell your home. Biden wants to come in and say, oh, yeah, we know you thought the cap gains was going to be 20%. Well, we decided to change that. Now it's going to be 40%. Congratulations. This is the stuff that he's doing. And this is reckless. Byron, those are scary words. I'll tell you, it's uh, just uh, unbelievable. Uh, what about, can, can you comment on the border? I know you went down to the border. You did, did an inspection. Right now, uh, the, the, their, com- their comment is the border is closed. <laughs> they just outlight, outright lie. And uh, uh, Harris, Vice President Harris, hasn't been there and has no intention of going there. What are your thoughts? Well, actually, funny you ask about the border. I'm actually going back next week. Uh, I'm going back down to the border next week. So I would have been there twice. The vice president, who is the border czar, who's supposed to be the smartest person in the room and is going to fix our problems, hasn't been there at all. I find that to be kind of interesting. But I will tell you, what's happening on the border is the biggest shell game we're probably going to see in our country. And the reason why they they might be successful is because the media doesn't want to ask questions. The media wants to focus on, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene. They want to focus on January 6th. Uh, they want to focus on Liz Cheney, but they don't want to focus on the fact that we've had uh, more apprehensions on the southern border than we've had in decades. They don't want to focus on the fact that we have unaccompanied minors who are literally coming into the country, walking right up to Border Patrol, claiming refugee status, and the Biden administration is granting them refugee status. Yeah. And so this is very different than just taking them in as illegal aliens. Because if you grant them refugee status, then you can transport them through the country and hand them over to HHS. So the thing that nobody's talking about is the detention facilities on the southern border now are actually at under normal conditions. Because HHS has been moving these children all over the United States into unmarked hotels and tent facilities that the Biden administration has been building uh, basically for the past two months. Wow. Every this is what this is what's going on, Bob. Yeah, is- uh, there was one of our members actually was taking pictures of these other company miners that were put on an American Airlines flight and they were being sent from the detention facility they were at to their holding facility under HHS on, on a on a commercial airline flight here in the United States. Wow. And so these kids are being moved all over the country. Bob, is it if you remember And if people remember their history about what East Germany looked like under Soviet rule, where they had the Potemkin village, where the first couple of blocks looked great, and the Soviets would say, see, there's there's nothing wrong here. That's what they're doing on immigration. They are creating a Potemkin village. So the first couple of blocks look great, but then that way they hide the disaster that's behind. And the news media isn't going to ask questions because one thing we know is that they are in the pocket of the Democrats and Joe Biden. Boy, isn't that the case? You you clarified something, and because one of the things I was concerned about isn't it against the law to provide funding and benefits to people who are here illegally? I thought that was goes back to the Clinton administration, but that refugee status apparently makes it legal. If you give them refugee status, then huh. you could do that stuff. You can you can uh, spend put funding towards it, and that's what they're doing because the kids are coming up claiming asylum. So the, the, the cartel, by the way, who's making $15 million a day trafficking these kids, and the cartel has, has, gone, has gone to this practice because they know that the Biden administration is going to let them in because they know Biden's policy is weak. The cartel has done the math. They know what our laws are, too. They tell the kids, don't run from Border Patrol. Go right to them. So Border Patrol goes and intercepts the kids. The kids are claiming asylum. The second they do that, 
the Biden administration is giving them refugee status. Oh my and then they can send them all over the place, feed them, do all the things that they're doing. And listen, these kids, I'm not blaming these kids. These kids are a pawn. They're a pawn by two groups of people. The first is the cartel who's making millions of dollars on their back. And then, by the way, the cartel is using the children as a distraction to traffic more fentanyl into the United States than has ever been trafficked into the United States. But the second party that's taking advantage of these kids is Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, because yeah. they're using these kids as a, as a tool to unwind all of the enforcement measures on the border to overwhelm ICE, to overwhelm border security. So they can come in and be like, oh, this isn't working. We need reform. That's what's happening. I'm, a, I'm telegraphing it right now for you, Bob. That's what that's what's coming down the pipe. Yeah, unfortunately, here we are. Uh, in we're actually business partners with the cartels in Mexico uh, in yes. this in this uh, whole business of getting uh, kids into the United States. Uh, you know what? Uh, we we need Donald Trump to come back. <laughs> we we need a, a change of leadership. Byron Donalds again, our U.S. Congressman. Uh, anything else that you'd like to convey to our listeners before I let you go? Well, I mean, look, what I will tell you is, is that D.C. is everything I thought it would be and more. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that I know what I said. It sounds very disheartening. But the positive sides of what's going of what is happening is, number one, is it's becoming much harder for a lot of Democrats, including Senate Democrats, to vote for to to vote for this stuff. Um, You know, you took the tax, the tax increase policy, this crazy infrastructure bill the president's $6 trillion budget, this is calling, causing them heartburn. Like they're not going to be able to just go along with this stuff completely or else they're going to be in trouble in their States. Yeah. And the second thing I'll, I'll tell you is this, we're going to take back the house in two years. And I know people are like, but what is going on right now? But you have to understand there are more Democrats who are retiring every day. There's already been six retirements of Democrats. Hmm. We only, we're only down five seats. There are six retirements already. Um, we our target list right now is somewhere between 30 seats and 40 seats of seats that we can flip. We believe we're going to have one of the biggest blowouts in a midterm election than we've ever seen. Hmm. And that's really because of what Joe Biden has done. And I think the last thing that's so awful is that social media and big media are complicit. Mm-hmm. They are complicit in this because they don't want to ask questions. They don't want to hold this administration accountable. And I'm like when I do media interviews now on the on the other shows, not the Fox shows, but the other shows, like I have no problem calling a spade a spade because I know that they will not do it. Yeah. And that's sad for our to quote the left, it's sad for our democracy. Yeah. Um and we need to demand better and we're gonna get better. Byron Donalds, I just genuinely appreciate you taking time to come on the show today. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Bob. Thanks for having me. You have a great day. You as well. Thank you, Byron. All right, coming up, we're going to go with the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. The dining scene in Naples is among the nation's finest. Get a first-hand experience with Naples Culinary Walk. Guided food walk with a terrific guide in a small group through elegant Naples neighborhoods known for destination restaurants. In three hours, you'll stop for small plates on your chosen tour. Dining walk choices include morning, afternoon, and evening offerings on 5th Avenue South, Downtown 3rd Street, Waterside, Galleria Shops at Vanderbilt, and more. Prices begin at only $46 a person, depending on the tour you select. To find out more and to make a reservation, visit NaplesCulinaryWalks.com. That's NaplesCulinaryWalks.com for a great value and a terrific dining experience. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC 
goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're uh, providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Dave Bego. Dave is the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Dave's one of my heroes. I mean, he actually stood up to union bosses for over two and a half years. They played all the dirty tricks they could think of. Attacks uh, on his customers, attacks on his family. You just, you can't believe that. You can't make the stuff up that uh, the the how low people could go. Uh, the union bosses from SEIU. Anyhow, Dave prevailed, and uh, he wrote a book about it. It's called "The Devil at Our Doorstep." Dave, thank you so much for joining us. Whoops, I lost Dave there. I could about <laughs> blew my headset off. But anyhow, uh, maybe Dave will call back. I hope so. But because uh, uh, I'd like to talk to him about what's happening with the unions and, and uh, other things. Uh, until he does, uh, a councilman and mayoral candidate in Atlanta who backs the defund the police. This, is a great, <laughs> this makes me laugh. I get, uh, backs the defund the police movement and voted to cut the police budget by $73 million. This is not funny, actually. It is funny. I have mixed feelings about it, don't I? Well, anyhow, this guy was dragged from his car. I think that's Dave. Uh, let's see if we can't get him on the line right now. Dave, is that you? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we lost you. I don't know what happened. But anyhow, welcome to the show. Okay, thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're on air right, right now. <laughs> so, so uh, Dave, uh just let me complete this story. Antonio Brown is running on a platform of remaining public safety. Anyhow, he, his car was stolen right there. <laughs> he was dragged from the car. Uh, he was the guy that wanted to defund the police, and he actually his car was stolen right just after he got out of it. So it's a, it's a funny story to me, anyhow. So, Dave, again, thank you so much for joining us. I wanted to get an update from you about uh, what's happening with what, – what are your thoughts about union activity and where the unions stand at this stage of the year? Well, you know, um, a uh, report that I just got yesterday shows that uh, union popularity is at an all-time high relative to businesses. And um, the underlying research is pretty eye-opening. Um, the, the union's been gaining popularity over the last few years, and I think that's because the unions were out uh, really going after people and and tell them false narratives and what they'll do for her and give to them that because they want to trump out of office. And now, of course, Biden's in office. And they're saying now they're going to get all this stuff extra now that they promised them and everything. And um, yeah, when you look over the last few years, um, and up to the last few years, the, the ratings have been about the same. People look at companies and unions about the same. But now... Um, Unions up to are up to a almost sixty percent uh, popularity versus about a forty eight percent popularity for businesses. So that's what's going on in America, and I think people need to wake up to the fact that the unions, uh, just like the Democratic Party, are just out there promising people you're going to get this and you're going to do this and all this fair stuff for you. Um, and uh, that's what's going on in America. Well, just and, uh, uh, cl just a little clarification, Dave, because I, I know you'll agree with this, but uh, SEIU, I mean, they are irresponsible. They play dirty tricks. The culture of the organization stinks. There are good unions, trade unions and such, and so uh, uh, you, you'd expect them to be popular, but can, is it possible? I, you know, when you said that, my jaw dropped. I can't believe that unions are gaining popularity after what's been going on for the last couple of decades. Well, it is, and um, it's because they want to take over the government, and um, um, they're out there doing that to people. And it's mainly the big unions like the SAIU and UAW and ASME and AFL-CIO and those. Mm -hmm. It's not the uh, smaller unions, trade unions. Um, but the evidence showing that uh, employees are willing to trust the idea of a union 
even in spite of mountains of evidence that show unions' promises don't usually play out as advertised. Right. And that's what I'm saying. They're out there doing these promises, just like the Democratic Party does, uh, but they, ne- they never play out. Um, and uh, they're even, the unions are even getting um, um, uh, people in journalism to um, sign up and be union people. Uh-huh. And uh, there's a big movement of that across the country. And this is because, as I've talked to you before, the unions control the media anyway because they control their advertisers. Right. But now they're even going in and unionizing uh, these uh, people in the media so they can control what they say all the time. And uh, we're, you're looking at all kinds of uh, newspapers and, yeah. uh, you know, like the New York Times and the Tribune and uh, all, all kinds of things that they're controlling now, and uh, they're getting people to unionize. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you're talking about talk show hosts and people get on and speak during their um, uh, news and stuff like that. And uh, well, you know, this is what they're trying to do, Bob. Yeah. Bottom line, the people in this country need to wake up. They're trying to control us and take over. Well, in fact, uh, it just occurred to me, my dad was in radio, and he was one of the founders of the American Federation of Radio and Television Artists. So he's, he, he, his, his uh, political philosophy was a little bit more different, different than mine. But the point being is this, that a lot, of, a lot of these people have already been unionized and are in a union right, uh, right now. Uh, most are not, though. Most are freelance. Most are, are uh, you know, people like me, uh, you know, speak from the heart and uh, tell it like it is. Yeah, it is, but uh, people need to understand what's going on in this yeah. country. And uh, again, Bob, as I've said on your show many times, the left, uh, which is comprised of uh, a lot of different places, uh, you know, like Soros and the unions and, and other things, uh, they want to bring this country down to us as socialist, communist country yeah. and uh, control us. And this is what they're doing, and they do that. And this is how the communists did it in Venezuela and, and other places. They go in, they promise people, oh, we're going to give you this, you get all this, and do all this. But at the end of the day, they end up being the poorest nations in the world. Yeah, I can't, can you help me understand what's in it for George Soros? Why is he uh, funding the elections of people like uh, Garcon and uh, the uh, people up in Portland, Oregon, and uh, Kim, whatever her name is, uh, there in uh, Missouri? Uh, uh, and in Chicago, the uh, uh, the attorney there. Why? What? What does he get out of this? I just don't understand it. Because he wants. He's all about control and wanting to have everything for himself, and he just wants to own it all. And uh, that's just how he he views things. And you know, he 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 basically brought down the economy in England many years ago huh. because he was playing with the stock markets and that mm-hmm. and. Uh, He's going to do anything he can to bring down this country, and do it. And not, but England recovered, but he doesn't want this country to recover. Dave Beagle, again, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. It's a great read. I encourage you to get a copy of the book and read it. It'll give you an insight not only to union bosses at SEIU, but help you better understand the playbook of the Democrat Party, because everything that the that the, you see these union bosses do, that's, that's what the politicians do as well. Uh, the website is thedevilatourdoorstep.com. Uh, also, uh, you can uh, get a copy of the book on my website as well for, at a nice discount. Dave, I, I genuinely appreciate you coming on the show, and we should mention that it is Memorial Day weekend to be observed, uh, in some ways celebrated, I guess, but uh, expressing gratitude for those that gave the last full measure for freedom here in the United States. Yes, we, uh, you know, we, we all Americans need to celebrate Memorial Day and the people that uh, gave their time and, and some of their lives and all that to, to save America and make it free. Well, today. <laughs> Dave, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thanks, Bob. Have a good day. You as well. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I had fun. We will have a show on Monday, even though it's Memorial Day. Uh, Mark Shulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com, will be joining us. Larry Reed, the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief, will be with us as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.
so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>